Amen, amen, amen. Aren't you thankful today that you know the God of the mountain? Amen, and he's still God in the valley. Someday I'll preach the message. But there's a story in the Word of God where a foreign king is preparing to do battle with the Israelites. And he tells his commanders, after having been defeated on the mountain, their God is a God of the mountain. So we'll attack them in the valley. And what they learned when they attacked the people of God in the valley was the same thing they learned when they attacked them on the mountain. The God that's God on the mountain, he's still God in my valley. Amen. The God that's God when everything's going good, he's still God when everything's going bad. Amen. I'm thankful today that I know who he is. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, want to turn with me to the first chapter of Ruth. Uh, we're going to finish up the first chapter this morning, beginning in verse 19. We're in the third week of an expository study through the life of Ruth, a Bible biography study, if you will. Amen. We've been looking at the story of Ruth as it unfolds in Scripture. This is, if nothing changes, this is the third of ten lessons. And so uh, we're well on our way. We're beginning in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19. If you stand with me for the reading of the word, it says, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? We love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence that's in this house on a Sunday morning. And Lord, as we tell this story of Naomi coming home, coming back to Bethlehem and all that it entails, I'm asking God you allow the words of this text to sink into our heart and our lives. Let it touch us and let it change us, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to take this one verse at a time, if you will, and I'm just going to read you uh, the verse before we get into it. I'm going to start with verse 19, which says, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And so the two, at the outset of the passage, we learn that Ruth, remember last time, Ruth made an eloquent commitment to bind herself to Naomi and it was it was a commitment that she was going to go with Naomi wherever you go that's where I'll go wherever your people are those will be my people whatever God you serve that's the God I'm going to serve wherever they bury you that's where they're going to bury me Amen. They were beautiful words, eloquent words. We said last week that they're, they're words that are often used in, in uh, marriage ceremonies as, as we talk about the devotion that one has for another. But we learn in the beginning of our text this morning that it was more than just an emotional promise. 
Ruth has backed up those passionate words with persistent action. She has put something behind what she said. You see, eloquent professions of faith are fine, but we never will get what we, what we need. We'll never arrive at where we're supposed to be until we actually do what we say we're going to do. Amen? And so it's one thing to make the commitment, but never forget what you actually do is far more important than what you say. Many folks say wonderful things, but their conduct doesn't always match the conversation. Words are never evidence of faith. Faith is not determined by what you say. Faith is demonstrated by what you do. That's why the song said that <clears throat> it's in the valley where faith is put to the test. It's in the valley where you find out if your faith is real or not because it's easy on the mountaintop to make a commitment. It's easy on the mountaintop uh, to say those words of faith, but it's in the valley where you've got to put faith into action. Amen. Obedience is the ultimate confirmation of commitment. Obedience is the ultimate gauge of faith. And so Ruth did well when she committed herself to Naomi to go to Bethlehem with Naomi, but the real testimony of that commitment is that she followed through with it. They too went. The two of them traveled together. As a matter of fact, our Bible says that they went until. They, they didn't quit before they had reached their desired destination. I told you the first week that the journey from from Bethlehem down to Moab was just a day's journey. You could, you could stand in the height of Bethlehem and you could see Moab across the river. But the journey back from Moab to Bethlehem is a more difficult journey than the journey down. Amen. Once you cross the river Jordan, once you get on the other side of the river, there is a 2,000-foot climb from there to Bethlehem. And it would have been tempting, no doubt, to, to quit and stay somewhere in the Jordan Plain. Somewhere, once you cross the Jordan River, you're back in the promised land. Amen. Once you cross the Jordan River, you're, you're on the other side now. You're, you're coming home. And it would have been tempting just to stop before having to make that 2,000-foot ascent up the hills uh, into Bethlehem. Uh, amen. I come to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning, uh, the journey back to the house of God is always going to be an uphill journey. Amen. The descent down to Moab will always be easy. It'll always be downhill. It'll always look like a good choice and a good decision. It'll always look like you're going the right direction. It's easier to go out into the world than it is to come back to the house of God. But they didn't give up. They pressed on. They continued until they reached their destination. If you're not persistent in your desire to return to the house of God, you'll never make it. Amen. Many, many folks have sat there and said, you know what? I'm going to get back to where I used to be with God. I'm going to get closer to God. I'm going to I'm gonna draw. I know I've drifted away. I know I've drifted down, but I'm going to go back up. Uh, but if you don't have that kind of persistence to press your way through, if you don't have that kind of persistence to stay the course, uh, you'll never make it back. You got to have a made up mind. Amen. Once you embark on the journey from ruin to redemption. 
You'll be given every opportunity to stop, to turn aside, to abandon your commitment. But Ruth and Naomi went until they came to Bethlehem. They, they pressed on until they made it to their destination. Now, I can just imagine how it went when Naomi and Ruth finally walked into Bethlehem. You see, Bethlehem was a small town. It was one of those places where everyone knows everyone. And folks immediately noticed that their small town had visitors. Brother Dennis, could you put that last verse back up there? Folks immediately noticed that their small town had visitors. The scripture says it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. All the city was moved. There was, there was something familiar about these two visitors. It, something about that, that one lady bore striking resemblance to Naomi, but surely it couldn't be Naomi. You see, the years of grief and sorrow have taken their toll on Naomi. When, when she left Bethlehem, she was a confident woman in the prime of her life. She was wealthy and healthy and well-to-do, but now she's just a broken shadow of her former self, and surely this haggard and destitute old woman, uh, surely this this can't be Naomi. It caused quite the stir when Naomi came back to Bethlehem. The Bible uses that word, the city was moved. The Hebrew word used there indicates that their arrival in Bethlehem caused quite a commotion. It was a strong word that tells us the whole town was in shock and was abuzz with the conversation. They were astonished at what was going on. It was They were running. You know how, how news travels like wildfire. Hey Amen. The, the first person that realized that really is Naomi. And look how broken and destitute she is. Began to run to everybody she could find and tell them, hey, Naomi's back. Amen. But it's not the, you won't recognize her. You're not going to be able to look at her and tell that it's her. She's old and she's weak and she's frail and she's broken. And she's She's no longer arrayed in her finery. Uh, she's no longer got on all the nice clothes uh, and all the latest fashion uh, like she had when she left. Uh, amen. It's a different Naomi. It was a, a scandal, if you will. Uh, and that scandal ran through the town like wildfire. The return of Naomi was all anyone could talk about from the gates of the city down to the city well, down to the, the marketplace and throughout the homes and, and all the places where people gather everywhere you turned, uh, everyone was talking about Naomi. Uh, that helps us to understand why later on in the story when Boaz begins to tell Ruth, he tells her that he is fully aware of her situation. How does Boaz know about Ruth's situation? I can tell you how, because it traveled like wildfire when Naomi came back. It, it was the talk of the town. The tongues were wagging, and the main question that everybody was asking was the last part of verse 19. Amen. The main question they were asking is, is this Naomi? 
could could this really be her? The appearance of poverty and stress were very evident upon Naomi. She who had formerly been quite well-to-do, she who had formerly dressed in the latest fashion and carried herself with dignity and pride uh, was now obviously in dire need. Uh, amen. She was broken and destitute. Uh, her riches had been turned to rags. And like the prodigal in Luke chapter 15, uh, she left Bethlehem in riches, uh, but she came back in rags. Uh, she left Bethlehem full, uh, but she came back empty. Amen. Naomi, in, in the irony of the story, left Bethlehem to escape a famine, but she came back home looking like she'd been in a famine. In fact, she looked worse than those who had stayed in Bethlehem and survived the famine. She was worse off when she came back than those that stayed and endured what she ran from. Isn't that just like sin? It leads you out with such incredible promises. It presents an image of Moab as a house of plenty, as a place where all your dreams can come true. But sin's promises are always empty. The reality is always far removed from what the brochure claims. You know, you ever pick up one of those, you know, you're traveling. We were in Branson last weekend. Believe it or not, they still got those, those racks that have uh, all the brochures in them for all the places. You ever pick it, you look at one of those brochures, and, man, it's like this is the, the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest place. Then you, you, you look up the address, you put it in your, your GPS, and you you drive and you find some little hole in the wall that's all broken down. Nothing like the brochure, amen? That's the way it is with sin. It's always a grandiose overstatement. Uh, it's always uh, uh, this, this, this great promise uh, that never bears great reward. Uh, amen? The reality is always far removed from what sin promises to be. The Naomi that went out is quite a bit different from the Naomi that came back. This Naomi is nearly unrecognizable. They can't even decide if it really is her. The innocent appearance of joy, the, the blessing and fruit of obedience, the things that have marked her as, as a woman to be looked upon with admiration, those things have fled from her. And now she bears the scars of sin and the brokenness of her rebellion. And the weight of her loss weighs heavy on her shoulders. And she who once stood proud now walks with a hunch. She's been over and she's broken and she's weak and she's weary. And they said, we're not even sure this is really her. Verse 20 says, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. You got to know that Naomi was aware that she was the topic of every conversation. You've been in that place, you know, where you, you just know it. You can feel the eyes on you. You can hear the buzz. Naomi knew that everybody was talking about her. She knew that 
all the questions that were going around town were all about her, and finally she's had enough, and so she breaks through the buzz with a public announcement. Perhaps she leaps up on the edge of the well, or, or maybe she finds a vacant table in the public marketplace to crawl up on, but somehow she gets everybody's attention, and she makes a startling pronouncement. Call me not Naomi. Giving public vent to her years of frustration and pain, she demands a new name. She may have left Bethlehem as Naomi, but now she's returned as a different person. Uh, and from now on, she wants to be called Mara. Now, there's quite a contrast between those two names. The Hebrew word rendered Naomi means pleasant, happy, friendly, lovely, and delightful. That's the Naomi of old. That's the Naomi that walked away from the house of God. Her life was pleasant. She was friendly. She was happy. She was lovely. And she was delightful. But she doesn't feel like any of those things anymore. She doesn't feel pleasant anymore. She doesn't feel happy anymore. She doesn't feel lovely anymore. The Hebrew word rendered as Mara means bitter. It means sad, sorrowful. That's the name that better represents how Naomi sees herself now. Moab has not made her better. Instead, it has made her bitter. And though it's not readily apparent to us in the English translation, there's a play on words here. Naomi asked to be called bitter because she's about to say the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. Amen. That the play on words goes even further back in the text than that. Back to verse 13 when Naomi told Ruth and Orpah that it grieved her for their sakes, that the hand of the Lord had gone out against her. That word that's translated as grieved come from the same root to be made bitter. You see, Naomi's bitterness is not a product of the talk that's going on in Bethlehem. It started way back in Moab. Amen. This is not a conclusion that she's just now reaching. Uh, this has been on her mind through the whole long walk uh, from Moab back to Bethlehem. Uh, amen. She's bitter. Uh, she's broken. Uh, she's destitute. Uh, Moab will always promise to make you better, but it will always leave you bitter and broken and destitute. And, and, and that's the, what Moab has done to Naomi. Uh, it's broken her. She who was once pleasant. Uh, she who was once lovely. Uh, she who was once uh, friendly and hopeful uh, and full of desire for life. Uh, now she's broken and bitter and destitute. Thankfully, Naomi's story didn't end in Moab, even as she realizes that she would be better named bitter than pleasant, she has no idea that Bethlehem will be the place where her bitterness is going to be swallowed by blessing.
She doesn't even realize it yet, but in returning home, she's returned to the blessings of the Lord. Instead of, uh, even when she reaches the point where she's ready to change her name, she's ready to move from pleasant to bitter, she's standing on the threshold uh, of a blessing that's waiting for her in Bethlehem. Uh, and in just a little while, the name Mara isn't going to fit anymore. Uh, in just a little while, uh, the bitterness that she brings in with her is going to fade into the joy of the blessings of the Lord in just a little while amen the Lord is going to restore everything that Moab has taken away from her because she made the choice to leave it behind and come back to the house of God but we've not reached that part of the story yet right now we have a bitter broken and bereaved Naomi Telling the good people of Bethlehem that the Almighty has dealt bitterly with her. Did you follow that? Naomi accused God of making her bitter. But that's not exactly accurate. God didn't deal bitterly with her. She was simply reaping the results of her own decisions. From the garden forward, men and women have always blamed God for the troubles that they bring upon themselves. When Adam was caught in sin and the Lord asked him what he'd done, Adam blamed his face. He said, this woman that you gave me, as if somehow it's God's fault because God gave me that woman. And she's the reason or you're the reason or anybody but me is the reason why I've failed. But that's not the truth. Adam has nobody to blame but himself. Amen. Naomi, likewise, is wrong to lay her blame at the feet of God. She's bitter, but she got here by her own hand. She's under the judgment of God, but she got here by her own actions. She brought this on herself. Naomi and her family went against the will of God. They broke the covenant they had with God. And they fleed to Moab at the first sign of trouble. That's the choice that produced the bitterness in her life. Then in verse 21, we get to the heart of the matter. Naomi says, I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? It's quite a transition from verse 20 to verse 21. Immediately after blaming God for her troubles, Naomi recognizes the role that she played in the disaster. I went out I left the house of God full I did it by myself God didn't send me out. He didn't force me to go down to Moab. I did that to myself. What a tragedy it is that she went out full, seeking to remain full, trying to maintain her blessings and the things that she had, her material possessions, but she lost everything that made her full. 
when those who remained and endured the famine maintained their fullness. Those in Bethlehem who were full when she left are still full now. How often do people turn to the world in the pursuit of fullness, yet wind up empty and broken and bitter in every area of their life? Naomi was indeed empty. Her husband was dead and buried. Her two sons both died in Moab. She came home without them, emptied of the family that she held so dear. But she was also empty of all of her worldly possessions. When she left Bethlehem, she left full, meaning she had, she had many earthly possessions. She had a, a lot of wealth and a lot of things and provision and all the good stuff in life uh, was hers. Uh, but like the prodigal son, uh, Naomi spent all she had uh, in a far country. Uh, she spent it all on a few moments uh, of pleasure. Uh, amen. It cost her everything to go down to Moab. When we live in sin, our fortunes will always fly away. Our sin will always empty your pocketbook. It will always rob you of your family. It will always empty out everything that's good. Uh, it drives a wedge between you and everything that is desirable in your life. Amen. It will always leave you empty. Worst of all, Naomi is empty of hope. She has returned to Bethlehem, but she has no hope that her situation will ever change. She is utterly convinced that brokenness and bitterness are her new reality, that this is where she will always be. That's what Moab, that's the worst thing that Moab does to you. It robs you of your hope. It empties you of all promise. It robs you of that vital optimism needed to believe that there really is a chance. There could be a better tomorrow. There could be a better day ahead. This doesn't have to be the end of my story. In the midst of her sorrows, Naomi lost her hope, but she unwittingly stumbled into a truth. She went on to say, the Lord hath brought me home again. Empty. She doesn't realize it yet, but she's about to walk into the blessings of God because it was God's mercy that brought her home. It was God's grace that compelled her back to Bethlehem. It was more than, than mere circumstance or coincidence that she was drawn back to Bethlehem for the midst of her pit of despair. God had a plan. God had a purpose. And His grace was calling her and bringing her home. He could have left her in Moab. He could have left her where she went to experience more trouble. But his great love reached out to her. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Aren't you thankful for the love? I've been to Moab, amen. I've walked down that long hill. I've walked away from the blessings and the goodness of God, amen. And I felt that tug uh, as he brought me back, uh, amen. I felt that call uh, as he brought me home. Uh, I'm thankful for the mercy of God. Uh, I'm thankful for the grace of God. Uh, I'm thankful for the love of God uh, that's not content to leave me in my Moab, uh, but to bring me back to the house of God. Amen. The great love of God brought her home. 
make no mistake about it, when you find yourself in Moab, the grace of God will always be pursuing you. It will always be there. The love of God, God in all of his mercy and his love will never stop calling you back home. He'll never cease to gently tug at your heart in the stillness of the night and remind you that you left behind a better place. That where you came from was better than where you've ended up. That where you were before is better than where you are now. And that there is a road that goes home. There is a road that goes back to Bethlehem. It may be an uphill journey. It may not be the easiest road, but it's a road that you can take. Uh, one step at a time if you just make up your mind to go home. I want you to notice that Naomi never heard that voice and never responded to that call until she was empty. When she was full, she left the house of God under the auspices of maintaining her fullness. Sometimes our material blessings are what keep us from walking in the will of God, the grace of God, and the blessings of God. Sometimes the wealth of the provisions that we have, the, the good things of this life that we gather under ourselves become the very hindrance that keeps us from returning to the blessings of the Lord. When that's the case, if you leave the house of God because of your fullness... You'll never return until you're empty because that's the only condition that will allow you to hear and respond to the grace and the mercy of God. As hard as it may have been for Naomi to grasp, her emptiness is her greatest asset at this point in the story. It's her emptiness that has brought her back to Bethlehem. She stayed in Moab as long as she had means. She stayed in Moab as long as she could provide for herself. But when Moab had used her up, when she was broken and bitter and empty, that's when she could finally see the road that leads back to Bethlehem. Listen to this preacher this morning. If it's your fullness that compels you to move to Moab, then it will always take emptiness to bring you back home again. What seemed like the judgment of God to Naomi was truly the mercy of God working in her life, getting her to the place where she could hear and respond to the merciful grace of God. Naomi went on to say, the Lord had testified against her. The phrase that she uses is a very common phrase that is used to reference what happens when a witness in a trial testifies against the accused. This is conviction speaking now. Naomi recognizes what she has done is wrong. And she knows that God is fully aware of the wrong that she has done. So she rightly claims that he is the chief witness against her. But what she fails to understand uh, is that her prosecutor is also her advocate. Uh, he may be the chief witness. Uh, he may testify against her. Uh, but it will also be his blood uh, that will cry out for her mercy. Uh, it will also be him uh, who will cry out and plead 
plead her case. Uh, right now, she sees him as adversary. Uh, but before this is over, she's going to know him as advocate. Uh, like the woman caught in adultery. Uh, he and he alone can testify against her. He and he alone can publicly accuse her. Yet instead of condemnation, she's going to find mercy. The next thing she says is that the Almighty has afflicted her. That word afflicted means to break or to break into pieces. Back in verse 20, when she wrongly accused God of making her bitter, she was wrong. That was something she did. She's the one that went down. But now she's right when she says that God has broken her. God in his mercy. Listen, sometimes we see these things through our eyes. We don't understand. God in his mercy has stripped away everything that was keeping her from coming back. God in his mercy has stepped into her life. And the brokenness that God has brought into her life is designed to bring Naomi to a place where she's useful to him again. God's still breaking things in order to make them useful to him. Sometimes he has to break somebody's heart in order to gain their heart. The light, the torch inside of the pitchers that Gideon's army carried, the pitcher had to be broken before it could be of use to God to drive the enemy out of the land. The roof of that house where Jesus was preaching, where the lame man needed to be healed, the roof had to be broken before man could be brought into the presence of God for healing. The, the loaves and the fishes that were delivered to Jesus in that great miracle, the feeding of the multitude, they had to be broken before thousands could be fed. The alabaster box, a story we all love so dearly, that precious box had to be broken before its contents could be poured out. Even Jesus Christ himself had to be broken in order to become our Savior. He told his disciples at the last feast, that last supper, this is my body, which is broken for you. There's a simple yet powerful point in this. If God is breaking some things in your life, you can rest assured he's breaking them to make you more useful for his purpose. He's in charge. And when God does the breaking, it's always for our benefit, no matter how it may seem at first. Naomi is broken. And in Moab, that looks like a terrible thing. But as she arrives back at Bethlehem, it's the brokenness that brings her to the blessing. It's the brokenness that opens up the avenue of the blessings of God to flow into life. Verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came back to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Last verse. I know I've gone long today. Just bear with me. I'm going to wrap it up in just a minute. This verse gives us some idea of the time and the season of year in which Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. It was the beginning, the verse says, of the barley 
harvest. That would have been around April, the beginning of April, because the month of April is when that barley harvest would become ripe. Now, that's important. The timing of Naomi's return is critical to her survival. It is no accident, though she may not have planned it this way. God has brought her home in the perfect season for him to provide for her. Naomi came home empty, but she will not stay empty. The barley harvest will provide for her. The barley harvest is going to give her ample food to live on. That's the way it works when we allow God to guide our footsteps. When we allow God to lead us on the way. Amen. When Naomi went to Moab, she was full. But Moab emptied her. It robbed her. It destroyed her. But now when she comes back to Bethlehem, she's empty. But God brings her back in such a way at such a time uh, that he won't leave her empty. Uh, Before the story's over, she's going to be full. Again, Naomi found only sorrow in Moab. There are three graves down there that testify to that fact. That's the way sin always works. There was probably some pleasure in Moab for a season, probably some good times. Her sons were married there. But the pleasure of sin, the Scripture tells us, only lasts a season. And sorrow soon follows. That's all that Moab had for Naomi. Brokenness, bitterness, and sorrow. But in Bethlehem, she's going to find joy. In Bethlehem, the barley harvest is going to bring Ruth into contact with Boaz, a a near relative of Naomi, which eventually results in her marriage to Boaz and the birth of a baby boy named Obed. And Obed is the grandfather of King David uh, and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. This is the point. I'm wrapping things up right here. Somebody go get Brother Ryan. When we return to walking in the will of God, We always turn loose the providence of God. That's the provision of God to work for us again. The promise of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. That's not a promise for the disobedient. But that is a promise for the obedient. All things don't necessarily work together for good when you're in Moab and when you're in sin and when you're rebellion and and you're walking away from God uh, and you're pursuing the things of this world. But when you get back on the path of the will of God, uh, when you turn your heart back to Bethlehem, when you finally come home, things start working together for your good. And divine providence becomes your helper again. I was telling someone earlier this week that I'm always amazed at how God takes our failures and shortcomings and manages to graft them back into his perfect will for our lives. That great-great-grandson of Naomi, King David, would utterly fail God in his affair with Bathsheba, and to cover it up, he would commit murder. But when he returns to the Lord in sorrow and repentance... God, in his tender mercy, grafts Bathsheba and her son Solomon 
into that same lineage that he grafted Ruth into. I'm amazed by the fact that, that God takes David's mistake, David's worst failure, and he fixes it right in the middle of his divine plan. I can't tell you how he does it. I can't tell you why he does it. But I can tell you when you start walking with him again, he takes the bad things in your life, the the horrible choices you've made, the terrible mistakes that you have made, and he begins to turn them into something good. And he begins to work them together in his perfect will, in his perfect way to bring your life to the place that he has divinely ordained for you to be. That's how Ruth, a Moabitess, she's not a Jew. She's not a Hebrew of the Hebrews. She's from Moab, where they worship idols. But that's how Ruth, a Moabitess, enters the lineage of Jesus Christ, becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. In spite of the fact that it was failure and brokenness that brought her to Bethlehem, God made something beautiful out of her story. Would you stand with me? I want to tell someone in this house this morning that God isn't finished with your story. He's still writing the final chapter. Don't put a period where he's put a comma this morning. He's not done yet. If you'll trust him, if you'll walk with him, if you will allow him to order your footsteps, he's bringing you home. At the beginning of the harvest season. Naomi, you may be broken and you may be desperate and you may be bitter. But he's bringing you home just as the harvest is coming in. You see, harvest time is a time of joy. Harvest time is a time of plenty. Uh, In harvest time, everybody has something to eat. Uh, Nobody goes hungry in the harvest season. If you trust him, he's bringing you home in the harvest season. He's bringing you home to the riches of his blessings and mercy and grace and in just a little while if you just keep walking with him if you just keep trusting him if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other in just a little while you're going to be reaping his blessings on your life in just a little while you're going to find yourself in the bountiful plenty of the harvest if you just keep walking with him I'm asking you in this place this morning, if you find a place of prayer for the next few moments, would you turn your heart towards home? I feel such an unction and anointing of the Holy Ghost. I know that there's just a few of us here this morning, but I feel the presence of God in this place.